Welcome to Real Everyday People, an Eladio Nino podcast. You either die the hero or see yourself become the villain. See too many dark nights and light the way you're living. They got me living. The plot is living in the podcast. I'm Eladio Nino, and this is Real Everyday People. Man, uh, I hope everybody had a good weekend. My weekend was pretty smooth. Uh, Friday, we had the Family Fiesta uh, event at the DHDC. Uh, it was dope. Had a, had a, the dunk tank there. Had a petting zoo there for all the family. Uh, bouncy house. I mean, it was really dope. Had local vendors showing support. Um, it was really dope. Uh, had all, all the carnival games for the kids. And it was just really nice to see the community come together and, uh, you know, all families be able to come there and have a good time. Uh, also, uh, the next day, uh, I got blessed with a couple tickets, and uh, I went to uh, to uh, the Fiesta game at Detroit uh, at, at Comerica Park. And um, I've been home for four years now after doing them 17 years. And ever since I've been home, I've been wanting to go to a Fiesta game at Comerica Park. And I could never get it. I could never get no tickets or I was working or something was going on. And just out of nowhere, man, I got blessed with the opportunity. So I was grateful, loved it. It was a whole vibe in itself. But, um, man, today, man, you know, I've been out. I've been networking and uh, I've been building bridges. And uh, I, I built a bridge today uh, with a good brother. And I'm, I'm happy to have him here and happy to have him share his story uh my man uh hashtag mr not guilty this is edward martell what's up brother my brother thank you for having me yeah no doubt man welcome to the el nino podcast studios bro definitely i uh, appreciate you having me again uh you know when you uh, asked me to come on i said to myself i say eladio is the voice of the streets right and I'm in the courtroom every day fighting for people's freedom. I consider myself the people's champ when it comes to uh, getting in there and, you know, fighting for due process for our people and, you know, the, the, the people's champ and uh, the voice of the streets connecting. I appreciate you having me again. Hey, no doubt about it, man. You know, I was grateful, you know, and you reached out like, bro, let's build, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and I love it, man, because this is how we can get more done. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, we, we, we learn how to be team players and, and we know that the load is heavy. So you need, you need solid people by you, you know no what I'm no saying? No. People who are reliable, people with integrity and uh, people who can really make an impact, you know? Yes, sir. I, I feel <clears throat> you a thousand percent. And, um, you know, just, just thinking about where we come from and where we are today. I mean, uh, man, this, this was meant to be. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, um, man, tell the people a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, what it is, and what it ain't, bro. <clears throat> as, uh, as Eladio said, I'm um, an attorney, a criminal defense attorney, but I'm also a convicted felon. Let me repeat that. I'm also a convicted felon. <laughs> and for, you know, I wake up every morning and I pinch myself because that doesn't make any logical sense, Right. And, you know, it, it was it's a long journey and, you know, we'll try to squeeze it into this one or, one or two hours, how long we got. But long story short, uh, you know, just starting all the way back at the bottom, uh, grew up single, single mom, um, no pops in the house, low income housing, um, you know, seven dollar books of food stamps and, um, you know, making it happen. I never realized we was broke, though, coming up. Right. Mom's always made it made it happen. Right. Um, Did you have any siblings or was it just I, you? No, no. We got siblings. Um, I got, as a matter of fact, two siblings and then a third one came along later, you know, from uh stepdad, et cetera. Okay. Um, <clears throat> you know, my grandfather, my grandfather came up here, third, third generation, Chicano. My grandfather came up here, um, in the 50s, 60s, Southwest Detroit and, um, you know, got a job at the plant. Um, 
and then ultimately, you know, once they uh, got a little established, moved out Western Wayne County, etc. Um, but long story short, my mom's was kind of, you know, I, you know, she, she, there was no pops in the house, so you know, back then having no pops in the house and just moms, you know, I don't want to say we were the black sheep of the family, but we were the black sheep of the family, you know, yeah, or yeah, the brown no sheep in our case, right? But long story short, um. So were you the youngest, the oldest? I was the second. I was the second, right? I got an older sister, Carmelita. Um, But yeah, you know, moms, she, uh, you know, raised us right, you know, taught us right from wrong, et cetera. You know, try to raise us up in the church, et cetera. But, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, temptation, temptation is a motherfucker, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, at early age, you know, jumped off the porch and started, started, uh, you know, chasing my Nino Brown dreams, as we say. (laughs) you know, I knew right from wrong, man. But, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, people get tired of, of being tired, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, first encounter with uh, the justice system. My first encounter with the justice system was actually not myself. It was my uncle. And he uh, was accused of, you know, a felony offense. And, he, we, you know, he didn't have, he had a court appointed, or as we say, or used to say, you know, I don't want to disrespect my brothers and sisters in the, in the, in the, uh, and the struggle as far as fighting for uh, for justice, but you know, uh, public pretenders. We used to say back in the day. You know, no, no disrespect. <laughs> public pretenders. But, um, yeah. You know, he didn't have no money, and you know, he uh, ultimately it was a bench trial. It was quick. <clears throat> we sat right through it. It was me, my cousin, my mom, my aunt, my my tia, and the uh, man. He was convicted. You know, they gave him seven years, and uh, he never made it home. And it, you know, it, it traumatized my family. And that was my first encounter with the justice system, right? I mean, ultimately, he, it was like two weeks before his release date, and they tossed him from the top tier. And I was really, I was. Really, I was going to ask yeah, you because you young. said he never made it home. Yeah, you know, I was. He got young. seven years, but never made it home. Yeah, I'm was, like, what? I was real young, but you know, my family still traumatized from that, you know, because you know. And, and that it, was here in Michigan. That was here in Michigan. Okay. And it made me think, you know, if that was the whole time, like, you know, when I'm chasing this dream of being an attorney. I think to myself, could I have, if I was a lawyer back then, could I have, could I have saved my uncle? You know, you think about that. You know, things things that make you go, huh? Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. think about things like that. You know, and then ultimately, you know, early encounters with the police, they put you on the wrong side of the law, and ultimately, you know, it kind of it kind of lays the foundation for who you are, right? And so, you know, by say thirteen was my first interaction with the justice system personally. Um, <clears> you know, <throat> I had caught a, a weapons charge. Uh, it was real petty too. Uh, and so ultimately, uh, then 15, you know, something with breaking and entering automobiles, something like that. By fit, then I came home, went to the youth home for a short piece, came home, um, you know, and dropped out of school at that point and just, uh, you know, started going full throttle, you know. Mm-hmm. By 17, 18, 19, I mean, I was, uh, you know, again, chasing my uh, Nino Brown dream. So right? let me ask you this. I know you said your father was absent. Yeah. What male figures did you have in your life? Like, did you have homies, uncles, big no, no, homies, no. cousins? Yeah, you know. And then, like, what part of the neighborhood did you grow up in? So, you know, let me let me take it back because, like I said, my, my grandfather moved to Southwest Detroit when we okay. were younger. And, you know, certainly have family between Southwest all the way to Ypsilanti. Okay. You know, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I've lived all through Wayne County. I mean, most of my adult life I spent in Inkster, not Southwest, right? Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I've, I've been all through Wayne County. Um, but my uncles, my grandfather, I mean, they were in my life. I mean, you know, it's always going to be a community to support us, even if, uh, you know, your biological is, is absent, right? Yeah, yeah, so, no doubt about you know, it. you know, shout out to them, you know, and, and making sure that, uh, you know, at least they taught me, uh, you know, 
you know, best they could how to be a man, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? But uh, yeah, by uh, I don't know, nineteen, I was uh, definitely out of the house doing my own thing. I want to say much earlier than that, right? I remember, oh, I think seventeen, I had already bought my own place over there off uh, on Elmer, off McGraw. So okay. I was doing my own thing, right? Yeah. But um, you know, I was I had passion, That's but I crazy, was Mike. but I was misled. You know, mm-hmm. I was misled in the sense that. You know, money is not the end all be all, and that's all we see is rims, the money, the weed, the woman. That's all we see it that when we're that you know I mean, immature mind. Poverty, right? that, you know, well, you know, you come from poverty. That's what you see. That's what you think wealth looks like. That's what I th- thought wealth was. You but, know, mm-hmm. you know, and then ultimately, um, you know, who who inspired you? Who were to be an attorney? Local, the lo- or to be no, to, to, to be hustle in the hard, streets, to hustle hard, to sell dope. Well, to, you know, and, what I mean, you know, like, like, I mean, when we when I was younger, uh, I mean, I was anywhere between Ypsilanti and Inkster. So there was, you know, there was a lot of guys Shit, out there a lot of that, I rocked, that, with, that MC, I rocked with. That I rocked with. I mean, I you know, I'm not, um, I, the, the names the names were changed to protect the guilty, yeah, right? Yeah, but absolutely. You know, um, but you know, certainly. Uh, you know, not everybody that does wrong is bad people. I mean, I, lo- oh, I love everybody. No. I, st- I, st- I, I mean, I love everybody. We still brothers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, um, you know, it's um, it's survival out here. I mean, God, I was blessed up, and you know, God got my got my head on straight, and you know, and I got refocused. But you know, um, you know, it could have ended differently. I got brothers that aren't here today. I got brothers that are, you know, got natural lives. So I got brothers that are doing short pieces, but. You know, it's um, you know, I'm, I, I got blessed up and actually caught a case. I caught two heavy cases in 05 back to back delivery cases, and it was the biggest blessing of my life. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't realize it back then. And most people you know? be like, "What do you mean? Explain that. It How was, was that a blessing?" Man, I was the biggest blessing of my life, and you know, I, I was, I didn't realize it back then, of course, but, um, you know, I was, I came before. First of all, it caused me to have a spiritual reflection. You know, and it caused mm-hmm. me to just look at myself and how did I end up in this box right here in this cement box? And you know, is what what are you going to do from here on out? What do you, what is your plan? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then second of all, you know, it not only the spiritual piece, but even sitting down and having a a strategic plan coming. You know, uh, when once you get back, right? So and then, you know, it caused me to encounter Judge Bruce Morrow. You know, whom. You know, was a was an angel in disguise to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, many many, of, you know, call him cut him loose, Bruce. Um, but you know, giving me a second opportunity was, you know, he didn't have to, right? But that opportunity, you know, he challenged me. He said, you know, I dare you, I dare you to be a Fortune five hundred, CEO of a Fortune five hundred company. He said you ain't got to be out here, you know, selling drugs, selling crack to your people, essentially. And uh, I said, okay, I took that challenge. You know, I like a good challenge, right? Mm-hmm. I said, let's do it. So I started chasing it down. I remember I, I, I went and uh, first thing I did was I went and got a job up at uh, Contractors Fence because they're the only one that would hire anybody with, you know, up okay. there on Finkel and Telegraph, would hire anybody with any type of blemish, right? And so uh, I was out there digging 42-inch fence post holes, right? <laughs> and probably for minimum wage, if I recall correctly. But, you know, ultimately, um, I got, you know, tired of trying to figure out uh, you know, manual labor positions. You know, they want us to have a job, but not their job, right? Yeah, yeah, and, oh yeah, always. You know, ultimately, I went back to school. You know, I went to uh, Wayne County Community College. I started. Uh, I remember the first day I walked in there. I wanted to be. I said, they said, "What do you want to be?" I said, "I want to be a lawyer." And, and I got the giggle, right? Because I mean, I'm a fowler. <laughs> I was a fowler, right? Yeah. And so, you know, they're like, "Well, no, nah, you do heating and cooling, etc." I'm like, "Man, just give me a chance. Let me let me prove myself, right?" So, you know, they let me do the prerequisites and. That was all she wrote. We got, uh, you know, three years later, I got, uh, you know, 
uh, scholarship to Detroit Mercy. Went up there, studied pre-law, uh, Spanish language, and uh, political science. And then it was uh, trying to get into law school. Now that was that was a uh, you know uh, quite a challenge because many people don't know about this book. There's what's called character and fitness, right? Okay. Character and fitness. So to become a lawyer in the state of Michigan, you got to have requisite character and fitness. So you have to uh, essentially, you know, it's it's pretty much this. If I'm looking across the table at you, can you trust me? Okay, that's and you know that's that's the pretty much the gist of it. And you have to have honesty. You have to have integrity. You got to have ethics, right? And you know, so all and those, this is what they teach in law school. Well, that's part of it. Yeah, they have a whole class pre-law. But that, it, no, but it's part in, of in law school. They got a whole course on ethics, right? They you have to uh, essentially, you know, and there's also a uh, a test or an ex or, uh, uh, an exam on that before you get to be a lawyer. You got to pass the ethics uh, exam as well as the bar exam. So tell me this: for that to be part of your training, you know. To become an attorney, but in real life and in real time in society, there's a saying that says, don't ever trust a car salesman and don't ever <laughs> trust an attorney. You know what I'm saying? So break it down for me, brother. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I know everybody ain't right. You know what I'm saying? But I know everybody ain't wrong neither. No, no, no. How yeah. do you. For somebody who catches a case, you know, that people are sometimes people are selling houses, getting liens. I mean, loans on houses, cars, trying to scrounge up money to pay for an attorney. And they, okay. you know, in hopes of getting the best results they can. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And some either come out disappointed or, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. attorneys are dishonest with them mm -hmm. or, you know, they don't put in the work or they don't have the connections. You know what I'm saying? But they're still taking the money. And a lot of people feel duped in the end. No doubt. How do you break that stereotype? And what separates you from the rest? And what makes you trustworthy? Man, I'll tell you this. I, I, number one thing, any lawyer, I, I don't guarantee anything except for I will go in that court when I will fight for you. I'll give you every, every bit of blood, sweat, and tears. But I can't guarantee you a result. Any lawyer that guarantees you a result, you have to look at them with a side eye because there's no guarantees in law. You know mm -hmm. that you haven't gone through the system, and I know that from both sides, mm -hmm. right? So that's one thing. There's no guarantees out here. Number two, you know, it's individual accessible. Many times you pay that retainer, it's very hard to get in touch with folks, okay? I pride myself on being accessible to not only my clients, but to the community at large, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody here knows my number. Shameless plug, 313-748-8290, Mr. Not Guilty. But the other thing is, um, you know, you got to be able to trust who, you're, who you have fighting for your freedom. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some people that just come to me because they trust me. Mm -hmm. Right. They don't say how long have you been doing this? What do you specialize in, et cetera, et cetera. But I won't take your money if I if I can't if I can't uh, essentially if I, if I can't successfully fight your case. And I know that from the jump, I'll be honest with you. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't need your money that bad where I'm going to sacrifice my ethics after working 20 years and proving myself to get here. You understand? Yes. That's what that's what it says to me every morning that you're not the man who you were 20 years ago. You're different now that's because right. you don't need you don't need to take somebody's money if you can't earn that money. That's you understand? Right. That's so right. So you got to trust who you're dealing with. And I've dealt with shady lawyers in the past. I mean, there's shady people in every game. But I mean, I've you know had some bad dealings when I was on the other side of the law. So I understand that not all lawyers are bad. There's you know, there's. Different, there's different um, levels of advocacy within the legal community, but for the most part, you know, um, all of my fellow attorneys are good people. But again, you got to find who tr who you trust for your with your freedom. How, mu how much do politics play a part in you representing 
your client. You know what I'm saying? Or not just you, but all attorneys. Like, you know, because people believe in that whole swapping out shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'll swap this case for That's that terrible, case. Man. We'll find that guy guilty, but we'll give him a break. And, you know, all that old Mickey Mouse political shit. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's almost like you're 50-50. Like, am I going to be the one that comes out on top? <laughs> Or, you know, say, or not the one that gets hey, hit in the head. That's why we love Nadio. He asks the tough questions, right? Yeah, the not, real shit. The real, shit, real everyday right? people, man. Hey, look, unfortunately, man, there's politics and everything. I'm not going to lie to you, bro. Mm -hmm. Right? There's politics and everything. I don't play that game. I would never sacrifice one of my clients, period, dot, right? I don't know what other lawyers do, mm -hmm. but I don't play that game. But at the end of the day, is there politics in every world? Absolutely. Mm hmm Yeah. You know, I just, um, you know, when I, I had my murder case and I, we had Gabby Silver, we had Dominic Cerise and we had um, um, David Cripps on our murder case. And, and at that time, this was 2002, and they was like, they was really putting on for all dope cases and murders in southwest Detroit. Mm -hmm. So they were real known for either beating the case or, mm -hmm. you know, get coming out with the best outcome mm -hmm. for you, you know. And... Um, you know, they, they did a pretty good job. You know, fucking Gabby Silver, she was a savage, bro. Yeah. She went ham. And, um, and you know, David Cripps, his name just spoke volumes. Mm -hmm. And Dominic Cerise, uh, he, he got picked up because he does federal cases and state cases. Mm -hmm. And one of my partners was fighting both. Mm -hmm. And um, the only thing that I didn't like is that, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person I'd rather hear the hard truth than a soft lie. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But I think it's a, a strategic way to keep your client calm by saying things are looking good, everything's straight, mm -hmm. don't worry, we got this, and all that Mickey Mouse shit until we get to the end and you're like, hey, we, you're going to need to take this cop. And the whole time I'm thinking we're sweet. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's a strategic move, but for me, I feel like it does me a disservice because I like to know what I'm really up against. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I can do some critical thinking. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it's like, you know, a lot of times they sell you a dream, you know, and it's just it's unfortunate because, you know, um, you know, you build a guy up and then only to tear him down. You yeah. know, no, I understand. And, you know, you threw out a couple names and, you know, uh, all of them really good attorneys. Everybody has their own strategy as far as defense. Um, you know, I could say this, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm diligent. I'm vigorous. Um, you know, I'm a fighter. I go in there and I fight, right? And so, you know, the other side knows when they see me that I'm not in here just to, you know, cop the earliest plea, but, you know, we're in here to try to, you know, pepper you with motions to, you know, mm -hmm. essentially I see the white flag waving, waving because that's the goal for every case, period, dot, right? Yeah. Do, I mean, do we win every case? I mean, again, there's no guarantees in life, but, you know, I give it a thousand percent, period, dot. That's dope. And I believe that because you come from where you come from. You know what I'm saying? Like they say, be the change you want to see. Absolutely. And you became that. You know, a lot Appreciate of people that. don't understand that. Appreciate you that. became that change. You was part of that system. You didn't like it. You didn't mm -hmm. like the outcome. You know what I'm saying? You were inspired mm -hmm. by the struggle that you endured and then became part of the solution. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I, and I thank you. And I applaud you no, for no, that, no, bro. I thank that's you. real shit. And again, man, that's, I, 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 again, I wake up and pinch myself. Because I just, you know, sometimes it don't seem real. At the same time, you know, it, I'm so busy now fighting cases that I internally struggle with not having enough time to give back to our community, right? To try mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, make sure that the next, you know, pay it forward. Make sure the next man doesn't go have a hard, such a hard time. I shouldn't be the exception. 
I should be the the template of the norm, right? Yeah. I mean, whether or not it's law or anything else, but you know, there was a time that when you know where they wouldn't even license us to be a barber or a CDL mm-hmm. driver, right? Mm-hmm. I, people don't know this, but my first degree was a class A CDL right there at Suburban Truck Driving School, oh, wow. right? Because I I didn't know what I wanted to be. I just knew I didn't want to sell dope no more. You know what I mean? And I keep that on the wall right and next to wanted, my law degree. And you want a good job to make good money. Yeah, that's it. I just wanted to, 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 to survive and pay for my family. But I put that on the wall right next to my law degree because it's really, it means just as much to me. Absolutely. You know? Because, I mean, that was my first accomplishment, right? Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I'm really struggling internally with, you know, making time to uh, to try to, uh, you know, pour back into the community. And, you know, that's what, you know, bridging this gap is about, right? I'm available, mm-hmm. period, right? Yeah. So how do you separate your professional life from your personal life? Because when you take a client, you got to become real intimate with a case, with the details. And I'm sure sometimes it can be disturbing. Sometimes it can be frustrating. Sometimes you can relate and sometimes you can't. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like me, I do my best. When I leave, when I punch my clock out, bro, Mm -hmm. I try to just... Stay focused on a whole different mission. Leave work behind me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And get to pushing. But sometimes it's not always easy. Sometimes you have to bring work home. You know? No, no doubt. And, um, you know, I will say this is now that I, you know, have. And, and I was with a, a larger firm in, uh, you know, downtown for the, like, I don't know, the last five years. Um, you know, got drafted out of law school by them. And, you know, they helped to lay the foundation. But in May, I went out on my own, Martell Law, right? We got two locations right here in Down River and then uh, downtown as well in the uh, Venture Building. But, you know, now that I'm my own man per se, I have a lot more autonomy as to what I want, cases I want to take. You understand? There's certain cases I don't prefer to take. Everybody deserves due process representation, but I prefer to stay in my lane, which is, you know, uh, you know, narcotics cases, weapons cases, and homicides cases, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, Fourth Amendment issues are, I'm very passionate about. Um, I'm licensed both in Michigan State as well as Eastern District Federal. So, you know, again, I got to... Uh, That's dope, Yeah, bro. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And that is sweet, I wanna man. T- I want to start Good doing... for you, bro. Thank you, brother. I want to start doing more federal and, you know, just kind of eventually get away from the from the state stuff. But, you know... Right now, it's uh, as long as it's in that lane of, you know, again, for lack of better terms, guns, drugs, or, or homicide cases, um, you know, I try to stay away from anything involving, uh, you know, women, children, things like that. You know, uh, occasionally I have been put in a predicament where, you know, uh, I do represent, but, you know, it's, I'd say 99% of the practice is, uh, is guns and drugs cases. Yeah. So if you catch a case anywhere from Southwest to Downriver to Inkster to Ipsy, Hit up Mr. Not Guilty, man. Martell Law, that's your man. He going to fight for you and get you what you got coming, man. Hey, what they say, there's a nickel bag sold in the park. I want in, I baby. want in. I no. want in for sure. Damn, you know what? I got something for you. I forgot to bring it. Let me grab it. Yep. We get the... Damn. Heard it's another man down in my city, Brody Tapagata. Red dotted. I was so busy hosting the... uh. El Nino podcast summer bash. I didn't really get a chance to, you know, chill with you like I wanted to, Not but I, I wanted to gift you one of these shirts, man. Me and Jose Rivera from Detroit Forever three one three. We did a collab that day. That's what's up. You know what I'm saying? And I didn't get a chance to gift you one, man. But my guy, I appreciate it, brother. Yeah. You're the man. For you, man. Much love yeah, to you, for bro. Sure. You know. 
I appreciate you and, you know, the sponsorship, the love, you know what I'm saying, all that good stuff. Uh, 4721, uh, 51st in Michigan. Go see Jose, Jose Rivera. We did a sweet collab. I got a couple tees, couple sizes, but, uh, you know, get with us. That's what we're about, man. Building bridges, networking, you know what I'm saying? And, and I love it, you know what I'm saying? Because you just always got a positive outcome, bro. And I believe in the each one teach one theory, bro. And, For sure. You know what you're good at, what I'm good at, what he's good at, and we can all manage to come together and just, you know, mm -hmm. make some something successful, whatever it For is, sure. you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I know that it had to have been a challenge to get to get to for you to get to where you're at today, you know what I'm saying, and then, um, you know the mentors you know along the way, your mentors along the way of your journey, you know that you've learned from working for other people, mm -hmm. but like right now, bro, like you got all your own shit, you got t two offices, you know what I'm saying. Uh, uh, you kill. I love. I love. I love the office you got over here in uh, on Telegraph. I can't wait till it's complete. Appreciate it. And I mean, you know, you took life by the horns, and you went for a ride, and 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 now you in full control, bro. You know what I'm saying of your own business, your own destiny, your own dream. You know what I'm saying. You're responsible for all that, and and it's dope. You know what I'm saying to see somebody turn their whole life around to have full ownership. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's an absolute blessing. That's empowering. It's inspiring. And I salute you for it. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. I respect you for it. And, uh, you know, I'm even happy to be a part of it. You know what I mean? But, um, I mean, I know you got to wake up every day just feeling like a million bucks, bro. You know what I mean? Man, um, I'm, I'm thankful, right? Thankful, humble. I mean, I feel, I feel like, uh, you know, God gave me a second chance at life. You know, after 20 years, uh, you know, and I really haven't shared this with anybody because, you know, it's very personal. But after 20 years, I was recently uh, expunged, right? And okay. then, you know, I've, uh, you know, had, you know, some of my rights restored, you know, uh, regaining relationships with my children. Um, you know, being a, being a father is, you know, we've had number, numerous discussions is, is quite a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm coming, you know, growing into being a, uh, the business side, right? Because you can't forget the business of law, right? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a business, right? Mm -hmm. So even the administrative side is, is it, I'm, I'm new to that part, but as far as the courtroom, that's my passion, right? So, you know, it, it's coming along, but I'm certainly thankful to everybody that's helped to lay the foundation, you know, again, my, my uncles, my grandfather, my mom, um, you know, and uh, I mean, in the legal community, so many, um, you know, have been there to support me. Uh, Judge Bruce Morrow, a number of other judges and lawyers. And, um, you know, the one thing I was passionate about is making sure that we we brought, uh, you know, high level representation downriver. And I'll tell you why, because, I mean, again, I'm from all the way from Southwest to Ipsy and everywhere in between. Mm -hmm. OK, so I want to be accessible. OK, I'm like dead smack in the middle of Washington, Monroe, Wayne County and Oakland County. Mm -hmm. I'm 20 minutes either way. Right. And, you know, again, now having my, uh, you know, my being a principal attorney of, of my own firm, I have autonomy. You know, one of the things that hurts the most is when you want to represent somebody, but we're not on the same page as far as retainer goes. Now I have more flexibility of being able to provide different payment options, et cetera. Right. And Definitely. so I don't have to turn people away. 
you know, mm -hmm. I can, I can, I have, I have a lot of more autonomy. Um, certainly, again, um, you know, just, just feel blessed. You know, I don't ever remember that being an option. You know, uh, when I was younger, catching cases and stuff yeah. like that. So I was like, damn, like this brother is really truly for the people because. You already know the whole reason that we out here catching cases for the most part is because we trying to survive, whether you're stealing or selling drugs or whatever it is, the Mickey Mouse shit that we do, you know what I'm saying, to survive because, you know, we're, that's what we're taught, only the strong survive, survive by all means necessary. So if that means robbing uh, somebody, breaking into somebody's house, selling drugs, whatever it may be, you know what I'm saying? And and then you catch a case and the attorney wants 10,000, man, I'm out here doing this shit, you know what I'm saying, to eat. So how am I going to afford that? But you've made a way, though. You know what without, I'm saying? Without having to, you know, water down my level of representation, which mm -hmm. is which is the which is what, you know, what's important because, you know, everybody deserves the best regardless. Right. But at the same time, it. it I'm not doing appointed work. I'm doing retained work, which means I'm running a business, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have put together different payment options, et cetera, mm -hmm. depending upon so your... you meeting your them in the middle. Well, as long you as make they, it, You're making it doable. If you put one foot forward, I'll meet you in, in the middle, period, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I'm here to fight for you, right? Yeah, and, and I mean, it's like, you know, how many people... Um, came out with poor outcomes because they couldn't afford an attorney and had to go <coughs> with a with a public uh, what do you call a public pretender? Man, you're gonna give me you in know? trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, you know, and again, you know, a lot of good people in that particular uh, you know field of of law, but it's it's a lot of it's you know you're carrying a large caseload, so understandably, you know, you're overwhelmed sometimes. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing is, I came into this game. Uh, intending on being a, 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 a indigent defense, public public defender, right? Mm -hmm. And then I was drafted by, again, that larger law firm and, uh, you know, experienced the, the private private practice. And, you know, and now that's what I do now. But, um, you know, I had every intention to uh, be a public, a public defender, which, this, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's purpose and everything, but I found my purpose where I'm at, so, mm -hmm. right? I mean, hey, bro, you a boss, bro. For <laughs> real, stop, you stop, are stop, a boss, right. my dog. For real, man. Everybody, you done overcame so much shit that, you know, the system was built for you to not win True. or me. True. You know what I'm saying? And we overcame all that. We overcame a system that was built, you know, for us to, to, yeah. to lose. You know what I mean? Even with our own trials and errors. And, mm -hmm. you know, we made life difficult, too, because we made a lot of bad yeah, choices and things like that. You know, but that's from being a product of our environment. That comes from that whole by all means necessary mentality mm -hmm. but you overcame all that utilized the suffering that you endured and turned it into your own you, you know, know what i'm saying funny thing is my passion hasn't changed right mm -hmm. the same thing you know the same passion i had when i was out here right chasing money and everything else is the same passion i have now however is redirected right mm -hmm. i mean and that i think gives you a, a a leg up a head start because i mean i wake up in the morning running right mm -hmm. i mean knowing what it takes right because it ain't on you it's in you amen. you know what amen. i'm saying amen. It's in you, amen. and uh and and uh and and i love that bro because i was gonna say um you didn't really have to change too much of who you were you just had to change the direction of your skills you know what i'm saying apply it to its 
for its purpose. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I tell like gang members, drug dealers, thieves, like, bro, you could be working at a real company. You could be working for Chrysler. You could be starting your own business and you can mm -hmm. apply all these skills that you possess mm -hmm. because it takes intelligence, bro, to run gangs, operate gangs, sell drugs, network, communicate. You got to be a critical thinker. You got to mm -hmm. do all these things. If you mm -hmm. can just apply it to something that's positive, something that's good, something mm -hmm. that's legal, you know what I'm saying? Real talk, though. When I was in uh, in 05, when I caught them two cases, that the spiritual piece, man, it was you know heart change as well, though, and that's what caused me to initially redirect my purpose, right? Uh, otherwise, I, and, and this is my honest opinion, without the heart change, man, we you know we just putting band aids on people, right? Mm -hmm. To be honest, so you know I think it's important that we have some introspection and see what it is and why we're doing certain things. Certainly there's a level of, you know, starting from the bottom. However, you know, at the same time, you, you got to get tired of being tired at some point. And that's what happened. And I right? was going to ask you, yeah. what was your turning point? When yeah. when did you get tired of your own shit? That was it. I mean, when I was sitting here rock bottom. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> On my way out, I couldn't even get, you know, when nobody wants to accept your phone calls, you know, so everybody's tired of paying your bond. You know, at some point, you got to be tired of being tired. When you realize, yeah, yeah. when you get, you know, you realize that you're put here for more than just to chase money, right? Good here, more than just work your wrist. That's not that's not what I was put here for, right? Mm -hmm. And now each and every day, you know, I'm challenged. You know, I'm challenged. So I enjoy it. Right? And, 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 you know, for a lot of guys today, a lot of people in general across urban cities, across America, um, you know, money is everything. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? I mean, motherfuckers will kill you for some money, rob you mm -hmm. for some money and 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 everything and then some people get the money and then don't even know what the fuck to do with it you know what i mean but the thing about it is i learned that you know money is a tool yeah. you know and it's to be utilized you know to mm -hmm. build yeah. you know to build and to duplicate yeah. to multiply you yeah. know what i'm saying all that type of stuff but i guess when it becomes your sole mission you know there's so much that can take place mm -hmm. in the midst of that Mm -hmm. You know, I think that whatever you pursue in life has to be um, led by purpose. Amen. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's funny because you, you said something a while back uh, and it was, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, we started a certain place, etc. And it just made me think like when we were younger, I never had a, a thought of going to college. First of all, nobody in my family went to college at that point. And I was the probably the first one to higher education at least maybe not the first one to community college but the first one to higher education but also i feel like you had to have money back then or play some type of sport right and I, maybe that was just in my immature mind but i don't think it was i think it was different back then mm -hmm. right um uh, but yeah i mean uh, that just it wasn't you know my grandfather worked at the plant and you know and, and you know if you worked at the plant you were rich to me right and so you know a couple people within the family worked at the plant and that was it but um you know, I, I just don't remember people going to college like that when we were younger. Shit. It wasn't too many people around me that was even finishing high school, yeah. graduating. Like today, you can look on Facebook and you have so many people and parents that are proud and happy. Their kids are, you know, going to prom. Their kids are going uh, graduating. And like, I'm like, damn, I, I, I love to see it because yeah. when I grew up, bro, like I never even been to homecoming. I never been to prom. I dropped out of school in ninth grade. <laughs> like nobody valued education. Nobody no, was didn't. talking about college. Nobody mm -hmm. was talking about graduate. Everybody was talking about just 
surviving, man, surviving. trying to get through the fucking yep. day. You know what I mean? And it's like, uh, you know, so to see today that education is valued, yeah. you know, gives purpose to, you know, the the uh, generations to come. Hey, but let know? me ask you this, a couple things. What do you think about how they do a graduation for every grade, even preschool, right? They do it like preschool, kindergarten, first grade, right? Yeah, oh, okay. I, think, I didn't know. I yeah, didn't know they do that. And then the other thing. They're like milestones. Hey, like yeah, they're yeah, celebrating yeah. milestones. I'm not necessarily against that because yeah. I see my baby smile and any, anything I thought about it, it made me change. But what about the, you know, people going broke on uh, the kids' graduation nowadays, man? They be, oh, yeah, I know. They be spending an arm and a leg. Sometimes I feel like we give these kids too much. Especially the rental, we car kids, rentals kids are, I've seen. Some, like even my own. Some of them are entitled now because we wanted mm -hmm. them to have everything we didn't have, but they don't have that struggle and they don't got the fight in them because they don't have the struggle. Mm -hmm. Right? It's a, it's a catch-22. So tell me, what's it like being a father now compared to being a father then? When you were younger... I'm, I'm, gonna say, I'm gonna say some shit that's gonna fuck you up, but I'm 46 years of age. I probably didn't become a man until I was about 35, mm -hmm. right? I wasn't a father back then. I was a, you know, a deadbeat donor, a sperm donor. You know, I wasn't around for my children, my two older two, and it uh, it's been a struggle getting them back in my life. Me and my daughter have a great relationship. Me and my son, our relationship has never mended. I mean, he's. You know, in and out uh, the justice system often and dealing with a couple other things. And, you know, I try to be there for him, but it's, you know, it's going to take a lot of prayer and a lot of him wanting to do better, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It um, definitely My does. youngest two, they've always known me as Superman. To them, I'd like to think I'm still Superman, you know? Absolutely. Um, my, I, got a, I got a young teenager who's just hitting that age. And so, you know, he thinks he's, you know, <laughs> the man, but. You know, it's, I'm, I'm enjoying fatherhood at this point, but, I, you know, I've, to the older two, I wasn't a father. And it takes, you know, I have to be honest with myself, you know. Yeah. No, listen. Your brother. shortcomings is what make you, you know, be a better man now. Mm -hmm. Having these tough dis uh, discussions and conversations mm -hmm. and being honest with yourself, you know. Well, well, this is what it is. That's why I call it real everyday people so that people can understand the real struggles that real people go through. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? And I feel like we do a disservice to the community and to society if we ain't honest about, mm -hmm. you know, the, the poor choices that we made. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And, um, you know, I think it's honorable when you can acknowledge it, not that we glorify, but we're acknowledging it so that people can understand the growth mm -hmm. and hopefully may, maybe change you now mm -hmm. instead of waiting 20, 30 more years to go through all this to become yeah. who you want to be. Yeah. People see me in a suit and think I don't have issues anymore. You know, more mm -hmm. money, more problems. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I still got issues, just different issues. But, you know, again, overcoming the past as far as my shortcomings uh of fatherhood mm -hmm. you know that's something I, I still deal with today but yeah i just like um like i've been home for four years now bro and like both of my sons my sons victor and emilio mm -hmm. they rode i mean you know my whole bit out they were one in three when i came to prison but mm -hmm. they've been coming to prison since year one all Man. the way to the end you yeah. know what i'm saying and the day that i came home they decided that they didn't want shit to do with me and I mean, I talked to them like three days before I was, was released from prison after doing 17 years. And we talked about, I can't wait to come home. We're going to go eat here. We're going to mm -hmm. go shop. We're going to go here. We're going to go there. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about this was three days before I was released. Yeah. And the day I was released, they decided they didn't want shit to do with me. And I've been home four years and they still don't want shit to do with me. And um, I just, I feel like this huge void in my life. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And, um, and I've tried 
you know, quite a few times to kind of build a bridge. You know, I've poured my heart out and I, you know, I've admitted, you know, what I've done wrong. And I've always been honest with them about, you know, throughout the years in prison, you know, they've heard stories from, you know, family, mother, you know, streets and, and any, anything they ever asked me, I always was honest with them. You know, I was always very transparent with them and maybe too honest because yeah. sometimes kids can't handle that type of honesty and they get emotionally attached to your response and they might hold it against you. And then we a lot of times we don't realize, you know, the impact and the damage that we do when we when we leave. You know, we leave a lot of scars behind. Yeah. You know, we leave a lot of unfinished business behind. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And sometimes the mothers can carry resentment and then pass on that resentment to the kids and then they resent you Heavily. as well Heavily. you know but i'm just hoping that you know i still think of them i still pray for them and i hope you know what i'm saying sooner than later you know that i can build that bridge with them you know and and it's a lot of us that grew up without fathers mm -hmm. that think huh it's not a big deal because i did it i made mm -hmm. it you know i didn't have no father but i'm still good you know what i'm saying but although we overcame a lot of things and still made something of ourselves it's still important to have your father and know who your father is. You know what You're I'm right. saying? I built my whole relationship with my father. I was not raised with mm -hmm. him at all. But from the minute I went to prison till the year prior to me getting out, he wrote the whole bid out with me, bro. Like, Man. you know, God put people in your, in, in, in your life at certain times to s serve a certain purpose. You know what I mean? And even though he wasn't in my life the whole time, he was by my side that whole bid and did just what he was supposed to do as a father. And the more I got to know my father, the more I got to know myself, Amen. you know? And then a year before I got out of prison, my father passed away. Ooh. And it broke my heart because even though I was getting out at the age of 40 years old, I still had that inner child that couldn't wait to have that fatherly father and son relationship. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, damn, you know, God gives and God takes away. You know, he gave me a father so I can find myself. You know what I'm saying? He gave me a support system to ride this bit out with. And just as I'm coming home, you know what I'm saying? I was not prepared to not have my father there when I came home. I was not prepared to not have my sons there when I came home. Like, you know, when you're sitting in prison and you map out your whole life and you think everything's going to go according to that, yeah. you are absolutely wrong. You know what I'm saying? You cannot plan for how things are going to go. You can only make your mind up of what you want and what you don't want, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, every day I live with that void but I'm hoping, you know, one day sooner, you know, sooner than later, you know what I'm saying, that I will be able to build that bridge because people do go a lifetime without talking to their own kids. You know what I'm saying? Man. And you, you're familiar with generational curses, right? Yes. You ever heard about yep. that? And, you know. And I was always taught the sins of the fathers are passed on to the sons. And, and you know, I didn't really understand that, but I look at all of the other men in my family and even my biological father and. Even and I don't want to put people business out there, but even uncles, grandfathers, and there's generations within our family of uh, the men having uh, multiple families. You understand multiple situations, multiple children by various different women, and that's you know unfortunately passed down to me, and that's not good, right? Mm -hmm. And I break and I pray that that doesn't you know carry on to my sons, but um, you know generational curses, man. You know, whether you like it or not, I, I, you know, they have affected my family, right? So, but I think about what you're saying, and you're correct. The, uh, you know, I'm 46 at, at 39. My biological reached back out to me, and I haven't seen it since I was 
I think he got me out the youth home when I was like 15, right? That okay. felt like I stayed over there for a couple nights and in peace. But, you know, and I guess I wanted more. I was The inner child was geeked about having a dad, mm-hmm. right? We did lunch a couple times and, you know. We and we still do lunch maybe once a year, but you know he moved out of state. But um, you know it was good just to reconnect and uh, you know we're still going, you know, trying to develop something. But you know I, I still got love for him, even though you know I'm, I don't hold grudges, man. Not like not like that. I was just I, and and I could have, but you know why? Right at this point in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, only thing you could do is just break them curses that's and do better. Yeah. And that's why I hold the community uh, healing circles yeah. like I do. I do them once a month because I feel like we got to get to the root of our problems. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of this baggage of trauma is being handed down to the generations in mm-hmm. front of us, you know, and they're carrying burdens and resentment and hate in their heart for reasons that they don't even know. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So when we go to these healing circles, we're able to share the baggage that we're carrying. And we've been carrying for 10, 20, and 30 years from childhood to adolescent to adulthood. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? And people just rather not talk about it, you know, mm. because it's painful. You know what I'm saying? It is. But I feel like once you start to talk about it with a collective of people, you know who you can trust, you feel lighter. You feel better. Mm-hmm. And then that's once you start talking about these things then you then you start to feel lighter about life then you make room for love you make room for forgiveness you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and um and and uh and and i think that that's very important if we're going to continue to be successful and um and, and 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 break them vicious cycles of of violence and and um <clears throat> you know growing up without fathers and all the resentment that families and kids have towards you know their parents you yeah, know i've been seeing that lately a lot of i don't recall that back when we were younger right i mean just uh you know children uh you know acting out on their against their parents and like uh, violence to a different level nowadays right mm-hmm. i mean yeah i mean you know we would have you know obviously get upset at our parents sometimes mm-hmm. or, or your mom or whoever oh, yeah, but you know. not that we know not that for number one you know I'm, don't smoke in front of mom don't drink in front of mom don't mm-hmm. cuss in front of mom and don't ever think about you know bossing up on your mom yeah, right yeah but sure. i see that nowadays a lot it's really weird you know? but but you got to understand because i had started a youth program when i was in prison yeah. And I started asking a lot of these youth, why are you guys have such a lack of respect for adults? You know, some of them said, well, shit, I sell crack and heroin to my mother and my father and my aunts and my uncles. So these are the type of adults that you got in your life. Mm -hmm. Or you got other ones that, you know, you got the parents. They always lied to them. They disappointed them. They were manipulating them. They were Mm -hmm. using them. They were abusing them. You know what I'm saying? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of the younger generation have a lack of respect and trust for adults because Mm -hmm. of the things that they're seeing, the behaviors that Mm -hmm. they've seen even by their own family members, you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, so we got to hold ourselves accountable and responsible and, and, and responsible for, for that. You know sure. what I'm saying? And we have to do better ourselves. And then we got to apologize, you know, to our kids, to, you know, to the people that we love, that we hurt along the way. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Because it can't just be about I went from the worst to the best, so now it's all good. We still have to acknowledge the damage that we've done. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Even when I was in prison, bro, I used to pray for my victim's family. 
You know what yeah. I'm saying? And because, you know, he I I had a 17-year victim, a 17-year-old victim on my murder case. You know what I'm saying? He got killed. He was 17 year old, years old. He never got to see his son be born. You know, my brother Pat, he was the one that killed him. Uh, he went to prison and didn't even get a chance to see his son be born. And then they just killed him last year, and he didn't get to see his second son being born. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like a vicious cycle where yeah. if you don't heal, if you don't learn, if you don't change, you're just going to continue to be a product of this. You know, but if you heal, then like I said, you make more room for forgiveness. You learn to forgive yourself. You learn to forgive others. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? At a time where you think I could never forgive this person. Mm -hmm. Once you start living, start forgiving you and start holding yourself accountable and be responsible for the decisions and the damage that you made. And you can start righting your wrongs, man. People will follow you. People will see the change. You know what I'm saying? And then that's when the impact comes, you know. Hey, Amen. It seemed like you hit a certain point, a certain mindset where you know i've just decided not, i don't do drama you know what i mean even if it's coming at me i don't do drama you know and you know it's and, it, and it's based upon what mm -hmm. you're discussing right there but and, and right. then you're aware of your triggers exactly once you get to know you bro and you learn how to operate because there's so many people out here who are literal uh got strings attached to them are puppets <laughs> you got all kinds of buttons and triggers people can say do anything that'll trigger you throw you off your square get you in trouble but once you start to get yourself together and you start to understand yourself and acknowledge your strengths acknowledge your weaknesses work on the things you like work on the things you don't like you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. cultivate the things that are good you know what i'm saying start breaking ties with the things people places and things that are bad for you man you start getting your shit together bro you know what i'm saying and start walking with purpose and living with purpose man you can do so many amazing things you know for yourself and others no doubt and another thing is you know, something that really helped me, uh, you know, just relax and not just, you know, because this is a stressful job. I'm not going to lie to you, right? Oh, I, yeah, I mean, you're holding, and I, I don't know how other attorneys are, but myself, I mean, I'm holding, I'm holding, you know, my, my, my clients, you know, I'm holding it on, on my shoulders and it's heavy, you know what I mean? But, it, it, you know, one of the things that has helped me is, is hitting the gym, right? That's like my thing. Not only that, you know, chasing money to what? To die early because you don't want to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. I remember remember uh what Tony Montana said, is this what it's all about? You know This is it. This is what you know? it's all about. You know, this is what it's all about. Talking, <laughs> talking, you know. Right. Eating good it, food. Huh? Right. Yeah. No, but seriously, you know, who who wants I am trying to live to, to you know to, to be hundred and twenty years old. Why not? Right? But at the same time, man, you know, just hitting these weights, just relaxing, uh, breathing good, you know. And uh, keeps keeps my mind right, right. Hitting the weights. Oh yeah, you become you know? so focused once you get in that zone, <clears throat> bro. Where you, where you get into the zone of self care. Mm -hmm. Like you get that positive, natural energy that keeps you focused, that keeps you de determined, committed. You know what I'm saying? Like I love that feeling. Like I haven't worked out, bro, in over a year, and I feel it. Yeah, I feel it. It's on me. Yeah, but. And, and I miss the way I used to feel. Yeah. You know what I mean? When I was, you know, working out, exercising, playing sports, just being active. You know, it's just 
life consumes you, bro. Okay. Life consumes you. And by the time I'm punching out of work and, and it's like I'm exhausted, bro, you yeah. know. And <laughs> once you're once you're mentally exhausted yeah. and emotionally exhausted, bro, the body going to follow suit, yeah. you know. You got to take that time. But right. I definitely got to take some time and get started, man, because, yeah. um, you know, I just I've been just doing big chilling. Mm -hmm. Like when I came home, I'm like, bro, I ain't counting calories. I ain't doing none of that shit. Yeah. I just missed out on 17 years of life. Yeah. I'm not trying to make up for it, but I'm trying to live my best life every right. day. I wake up with gratitude. If I want a cheeseburger, I'm finna eat the cheeseburger. <laughs> I'm finna, you know, I want Burger King, however it go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got to have it because there was a time in my life where I had to eat what they gave That's me. Right. You know, I didn't have that privilege no more, but I see I don't let the shit get the best of me. Nah, 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 nigga nah. built like a combo pack. You <laughs> nah, know what I'm bro. saying? <laughs> Supersized and shit, you know, but it's all good, bro. I'm still comfortable in my own skin, you yeah, know what I'm saying? But, you know, I, I admire, you know, brothers that can get right back into it, and, and I will eventually, you know? I was uh, stutter stepping with it for a long time, and I've been 60, 60 days strong. I went and got me, uh, you know, I, I joined this little lunkhead gym out there in uh, Grindline MMA, or Grindline Fitness, and a, uh, you know, personal training piece, right? But yeah, I feel like a million bucks. That's dope, man. That's good, bro. Like they say, wealth is health. Hey. Or health is wealth. I'm <laughs> nah, no doubt about it, man. But, um, you know, what do you think about, did you see the video with the Alabama? Uh, I did. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah. the whole scrap with the ferry yeah. and then the pontoon. And, yeah. I mean, it turned into a whole black and white thing. Bro, I've been watching the video for two days, bro. You know, it's, it's crazy because when I first watched it, I thought it was like a... Uh, uh, two different families right because i didn't really have context all of it was just an arrow pointing at the guy swimming right but then you know once it got full context you know it put more you know to the story right yeah i mean it, so <coughs> the story that i from what i understand is that there was a security guard you know black man he was in his 60s you know there was a pontoon parked they told the people they asked the people to move so that the ferry could move on in you know what i'm saying and, you know, the, the, the people who were in the pontoon had an issue with him trying to direct them. Mm -hmm. And uh, some blows was punched. And before you know it, they was jumping him. About five of them was on his head. Mm. Next thing you know, I'm watching the video. A guy jumps out of the ferry and he's swimming, <laughs> swimming to land to come and aid the brother who's getting jumped. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Which I was like, damn, you a hell of a dude for that. Because yeah. I'd have either drowned or I'd have been through by the time I got there. You know what I'm saying? But then, uh, and then, and then once the ferry got parked, a mob of brothers jumped out that bitch and was like, we about to up the score now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it just turned into a whole thing, bro. I mean, it's just crazy, man. You know what I'm saying? To see, you know, violence the way it is, racism. I mean, just, you know, just all the craziness, bro, you know, and it's just uncalled for. But videos like that. And and incidents like that, bro, um, is the reason why we can never have peace. You know what I'm saying? Why it's so hard for us to build bridges because of the conflict. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it's it's just unfortunate. You know what? I, it's crazy because everything now I look at it through like a lawyer lens, right? And uh, you, you know, it, it's real powerful. The police have discretion, discretion who to arrest when they show up to a scene, kind of like domestic violence. They show up to a house, you know, somebody, well, you know, one person says one thing, one person says the other thing. They usually take the man. I'll just be honest. They might take, they might take both. I don't know. But from my experience, I usually see them taking the man. But, you know, I, I, I looked at it 
and and watching and that's what i was looking for to see who did they arrest when they showed up you understand mm -hmm. because again they have discretion like for instance i give you just an like an attorney right? you looking yeah, for the legality yeah, 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 right. yeah. so i'll give you a for instance there's a local statute for drugs and there's a state statute for drugs and you know it can be the same amount of drugs it could be a small amount say for instance a small amount of cocaine right mm -hmm. and they can charge you less than 25 which is a felony or they can charge you under a local ordinance for violation of the public health code right okay does should the police really have that much discretion i don't think so depending on who you know who's the who's the uh you know person getting arrested who's the yeah, arrestee yeah and who's the policeman who is the officer i don't think so i think it needs to be universal period right because what it, it it starts appearing as though it's you know selective on the base of ethnicity and other things like that i you know i don't believe that they need to have that type of discretion but you know back to the video you know that's what i was looking for is who were they arresting right mm -hmm. and you know it, it's um yeah i mean it just listen like, Dog had the chair. He <laughs> was that. cracking heads that. with that bitch, bro. He was not playing. He whacked everybody with that motherfucking chair, bro. Yeah, I, I said, God dang, man. He was not playing no game. <laughs> and I'm sure somebody got their head beat in for reasons that unknown. You know what I'm right. saying? Because, yeah. you know, you just don't know what a person's carrying, what's on a person's mind, what's on a person's heart, and you poke at them and or anything. Age, especially in the South, I'm surprised there wasn't some, no, no bullets flying, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. To be honest, I, don't, I barely, I re very rarely see people throwing blows anymore, right? Yeah, I yeah, mean, for sure. Age, right? Yeah, and, and, and it's sad. It's unfortunate. Like, do you get a lot of young clientele? Just because, like, you, the they, young people are the ones doing a lot of the killing today, you know? Been a, you know? Uh, it's, it's unfortunate. It's been a, this week alone, there's been a, a number of uh, uh, homicides in, in the city of Inkster, but, you know, very sad situation. But I say the number one... Um, a case that I see repeatedly is uh, CCW, carrying concealed weapon. Okay. Oftentimes, it's uh, individual who may not even have any prior record, but don't understand the law. Okay, mm -hmm. you even if your if it's your legal weapon, carrying in the, carrying it in a vehicle, you can't open carry in a vehicle. People don't understand that you cannot open carry in a car. Right? You understand Michigan is an open carry state, but you can't open carry in a automobile. Because even being in the automobile is concealing it. Does that make sense? Oh, shit. Yeah. So okay. even if if you don't have a CPL, I would recommend not carrying that vehicle, uh, uh, a gun, gun in the vehicle. Okay. However, if you're going to, it has to be, uh, it cannot be readily accessible. Do you understand? The magazine. Has to be separated. Has to be separated. You're supposed to put the weapon in a lock, a lock box within the trunk. The, the, the magazine is supposed to be in a whole other area of the car. You know, preferably, I believe, in the in the glove, glove compartment, box, yep. right? And there can't be one in the chamber. People don't know that, okay? I've even seen a case where there was one where a guy had it in a duffel bag in the trunk. And they still charged him with CCW because it wasn't in a locked box, you know, per statute. So oh, they're very specific. Wow. Although the spirit of the statute was there, it wasn't specific. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. No, so, no, for sure. I mean, that's the case I see often, right? It's, it's CCWs. Um, and it's usually young folks who just don't know the law, but they're able to go in and, and get a firearm because they don't have a, uh, any prior felonies. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you know, you know, they may end up with a felony because they weren't educated in the law prior to buying it. Right. Because you don't have to have legal education to buy the firearm. You only have to have, I'm sorry, firearm education, the gun safety class. You don't have to have that to buy the firearm. Mm -hmm. You only have to have that if you're seeking a CPL. Oh, OK. Right.
So yeah, yeah, yeah I see, I see sure. that. I see that all the time. You know, I think that um, you know a lot of the adults are responsible for the kids, <clears throat> the youth having access to these guns the way that they do. Um, you know, I grew up crazy. I had a gun in every corner, every drawer, you know, stupid, <laughs> young. I thought I was Tony Montana. I thought, you know, living that life, you know, I glorified mm. it. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, I thought the shit was cool. You know what I mean? But I didn't think of what I was showing my kids and teaching my kids, mm. you know? And, um, you know, it, it just, the impact that it makes, you know? On, on on generations to come because all they're doing is going to repeat what they seen, what they heard, mm -hmm. what they were taught, and use that as an excuse the same way we did. You know what I'm saying? You can tell your kids all day, but they're gonna they're gonna do what they see, right? Just like I said, my mama taught me right from wrong, but I did what I seen, right? So I mean, it's very important that we lead by by example, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, but you got to think about this too, though. I don't necessarily think, you know. First of all. I, I'm I, now that I, I actually have the right to exercise my Second Amendment. I feel like a whole damn American. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm not anti Second Amendment. Period. Doc. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the fact that they, I feel like they want all blacks and Mexicans to be anti gun and anti Second Amendment. I think is foolish. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's our that's our right. That's our Second Amendment right as Americans. Period. Doc. Mm -hmm. and, and and you know, it was. It, I just felt like. It's, it's limited, and, and I could be wrong, but I feel like certain cultures or ethnicities teach their kids, educate their kids with guns at an earlier age. And that way they don't see, and, and then with ours, we're teaching them to be afraid of guns, etc. Don't be, even policemen, my position is don't be afraid of the police. policeman. Teach your kid to be the damn policeman. So we'll have our mm -hmm. own kids policing our own communities when they become adults. Mm -hmm. Instead of having individuals that don't live within our community, aren't familiar with our community, policing us. Does that make sense? So, so this is what's crazy. You're absolutely correct. But, you know, I do a lot of outreach work, bro. I'm, I'm always in the streets as far as east side, west side, southwest. You know what I'm saying? And I remember some years ago, you know, everybody was campaigning. Be the change you want to see. You know what I'm saying? So that means if you don't like the justice system, go be an attorney. Go be a prosecutor. Go be a judge. You don't like the police in your community? Become a police officer. You know, they were talking about how, you know, um, you had, um, you know, precincts with police officers that were not from the community, don't understand the people of the community, and they were doing a disservice to the community. So now I see a lot of people joining the police for people from the community becoming police officers and becoming firefighters and you know becoming the change that they want to see and then still being discriminated against by their own people oh man you will police now now you this and you that yeah. and it's like bro i become because i care for my community that's why i become a police officer but it's like no matter what you do you always getting backlash people yeah. always got something to say people are very opinionated and um you know me i applaud people who are trying to do something positive mm -hmm. of course yeah you want to be a police officer yeah police your own community where you come from so you because you understand mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying the 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 Tierra, the mm -hmm. tierra is the dirt, the land yep. of your people. For you sure. know what I mean? And then, then to be criticized, oh man, now you would now you working with the police and you a mm -hmm. police officer and things like that. And it's like, bro, I'm here to do a service to my people. I'm here to do something good and positive. Listen, you know? And let's just be frank. Let's talk off front about this. I mean, I didn't realize well, I did realize this, but when I got up when I actually became a lawyer, I seen it even more. There's only a handful of Latino 
Latino uh, attorneys that I see on a daily basis, at least in criminal law. And of those, you know, I may be the only one as Chicano, to be honest with you. Um, and, you know, same thing with p- p- the police department, even, you know, a- a- as far as the higher ups, not the, not the street cops. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I realize they have a job to do and I got a job to do. Right. The job is to protect, protect the community. My job is to protect my client and, and protect his due process rights. That's right. Right. So, I mean, why I used to have certain feelings towards police when I was younger, nowadays it's respect, respect, 100%. Okay. And, you know, um, yeah, I mean, we especially, you know, officers that are from the community, the police the community, I mean, you got to appreciate that. Right. I'm a firm believer. There used to be a law where you had to live within the community to police that, to be a police or fire. Yeah. Right. I'm not, mm-hmm. I, and, and they ruled that down, you know, I believe up in the Michigan Supreme Court, I could be wrong, but I'm not against that law. I think it makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you want people from your community policing your community. Right. You yeah, just do. Absolutely. You know, because they're vested. They're mm-hmm. vested. Period. And if people know there's police and firemen living on that block, they, you know, they would think twice before, you know, pulling some okie doke. So, you know, I, I, I grew up in, in River Rouge and, mm-hmm. um, and, a lot of the police officers who I really cared about were the ones who were from the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, Officer Terry Crawford, you know, mm-hmm. rest in peace, uh, Deborah Price, uh, Carl Smart. Like, these were real people, grew up in the community. Their kids went to the schools yeah. that I went to. And, you know, they were not out to <clears throat> arrest me, bust me, um, you know, get me in trouble. Like, they came in with, with endearment. But that's you know, where that discretion piece comes in. Yeah. Because they have discretion whether to arrest or take you home to mom's house mm-hmm. and say, yo, get a lot of the old check. Mm-hmm. Right? They have discretion whether to put you in the system at age 14, 15, or whether to take you home and essentially, you know, let your parents know what you're into. Mm-hmm. You understand? And oftentimes you'll see it go into the justice system most nine times out of ten nowadays. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is a problem. Especially even at the school district. If you're in the, every time that we, you know, the kids act up in school, do we, there didn't used to be officers in every school, not in every district. Maybe back in the day it was only in Detroit. But mm-hmm. nowadays they will essentially criminalize you before you even hit the justice system. They'll yeah. criminalize you in school. And then when you go to the justice or to the juvenile system, and I represent juveniles all day, every day as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. And that's a difference. It's it's criminal, but it's complex because they have different levels to it. They can wave you up as an adult. They got, you know, kind of a hybrid, et cetera. But at the end of the day, they always bring into your school record. So don't think that that school disciplinary record don't affect you when you when they thrust you into the system. Oh, yeah. Discretion. That's what I was talking about. Discretion. They got a lot of discretion. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, I, I grew up young. Like I said, uh, I was raised by a village of gang members, drug dealers. I be, So I became that. I became that. I was that. I never really had no animosity or hate for the police because it was a cat and mouse game. You know what I'm saying? I'm the drug dealer. You're the police officer. Your job's to catch me. My job's to get away. You know what I'm saying? But the first time that I ever really felt any animosity for police officers was in when they arrested my mom. They was in front of my house and they was roughing me up. You know what I'm saying? They was, you know, beating me up a little bit, had my face on the hot um hot hood. You know what I'm saying? So and right in front of my house, so my mother comes out like, hey, the fuck you doing to my son? Get off my son. Cause it was about three of them. You know what I'm saying? I ain't nothing but about 17, you know? And um, 
Yeah, my mom came out to defend her son, and they snatched my mother up, bro. Cuffed her up, took us both, put us both in the car, took us both to jail. Bro, from that day on, bro, I swear, bro, I just, I hated the police, bro. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? For what they did to my mother. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, I, I carried that resentment for a, a long time. I had absolutely total disregard and no respect for the law or police officers after they did that to my mother, you know. And, um, you know, I, I hate that my mother had to experience that, you know. But, um, you know, I, I like I said, learning how to hold yourself accountable for things. I blame myself for that because had I not been doing the shit I'd have been doing, my mother would have never had to come out there and defend me. You know what I'm saying? And none of that would have ever happened. But, you know, at the end of the day, bro, I just try to be an example of what being a good person is, you know, uh, being a, a civilized is, you know, and being just a decent, a decent person, no doubt. you know. Hey, you just made me kind of just think about, you know, some of the things that, you know, catalyst to becoming an advocate and becoming an attorney my mama used to be a beast advocate every time I, every time i get in trouble she'll be up there right and and she you know she was very well learned but not no formal education but you know she you know was very well learned she read a lot right mm -hmm. so she'll be up there just advocating and you know fighting for me every time i was getting in trouble up there getting arrested or school or police etc and you know she was pretty fierce right and um uh, you know i just think about that but yeah you know Shout out to Miles, right? Yeah, all the Miles, <clears throat> for sure, man, you know. But listen, brother, it's been a pleasure having you here. I, it's been a pleasure hearing your story. Let them know where they can find you at, bro. bro. we done already? <laughs> We're in the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 Plaza right here on Telegraph Road next to Pete's Place uh, between 94 and Eureka on Telegraph, right down the street from the Michigan State Police. Uh, we also have a uh, downtown office, 220 West Congress, Phone number 313-748-8290. Uh, you know, follow me on all the social media pages. And if you can't find me, just reach out to Ladio. He'll let you know where I'm at. Ain't no you doubt. You need me, I got you. Hashtag Mr. Not Guilty, man. Edward Martell, man. Reach out. If you're dealing with some legal issues, he'll definitely get you together. Uh, big shout out to everybody, man. Everybody, much love. I appreciate you. Thank you. A uh, big shout out uh, to DNR, Danny Reyna, and uh, his concrete and construction. Uh, shout out to my brother Zoe at LA Landscaping. And a uh, big shout out to Martell Law, man. And everybody that's been showing me love, sharing, subscribing, donations, sponsorship, all that good stuff. Love y'all, man. And it got me upset Living in that very tell American dream Kill it when you walking with that gangsta lean Even though you know they go they all This insane. has been an episode of Real Everyday People Part of the El Nino Podcast Check out the El Nino Podcast live on Facebook Every Monday night at 9pm Eastern And for full episodes The El Nino Podcast is available on Facebook and YouTube